you for listening to this message from the North Gate. Listen, it is a truly, truly, truly an honor tonight for this man of God, pioneer. If you would know what they have done together and what he has done as a leader and an administrator and a pastor, the apostolic leadership that's on Chris's life is absolutely incredible. And Northgate, we are truly honored to hear the word from the man of God tonight. Will you honor Chris Mathis, my brother, as he comes to bring the word tonight? Check, check, are we on? I feel like I feel like you should come say something too. Yeah, right now. You know what would be good? I think it would be really good for you to tell everybody how much hell you went through to write that song so that they can be blessed in the name of Jesus. Because that is real. Three o'clock in the morning when yes. you told me the story, it impacted me. Yeah. Maybe you're just tired. Uh, <laughs> Three o'clock in the morning. Well, you guys can sit down. It's okay. Thank you. Wow. Okay, so that's just a long story. It's okay. Um, you can have the night. Well, one of the things that I talk about a lot from my, like, history with the Lord is just the way that I've had to learn This how, is going to bless somebody. This is going to help somebody. The way that I've had to learn how he speaks to me. So growing up in the charismatic church, a lot of times I see so many people weeping in the presence of God and falling on the floor and, like, just having these radical encounters. And I was, like, so hungry. I grew up in the church. I got saved when I was five. I don't even remember when I started speaking in tongues. I just always was with the Lord. And so, you know, when you've lived for for the Lord your whole life, and I really, like, saved myself for my husband. I was like, I'm not getting drunk. I don't do drugs. I don't do all that. You know, I was, like, very big on giving my life to him. And I felt like I got to a point where I was, I heard a story about Heidi Baker and how she was in revival and she got like slain in the spirit for like a week and it wrecked her. And it was the first time I'd ever heard somebody have that kind of encounter where they were like incapacitated. Like they actually had to be carried to the bathroom to like go to the bathroom and have help because she was out for like a week. And so I was like, God, I want that kind of encounter. I want that radical encounter with you. Can you imagine like, if you actually did something like that to me, how crazy on fire for you I would be. Man, you like, just wreck me. Wreck me, wreck me. I want to encounter, I want, like, like I want to get slain in the spirit. So I was so hungry and so desperate. I saw, again, like, growing up in the charismatic church, you hear people who are very prophetic, and they're, like, going and spending time with the Lord and coming back. And it's like, I saw, you know, all these angels and unicorns and dust and feathers and everything's falling from the sky. And I could feel, feel the presence of God so strong. I was just weeping for hours. Yeah. And I'm just like, well, that's great. Okay. And I started getting really like frustrated with the Lord because I was begging him for something like that, like begging him for this encounter. And so I started to really question. There's just so many things though. There's so many things. Okay. I'll tell that one. <laughs> so that was kind of the foundation. I remember begging God for this encounter. And he was like, Nikki, I'm creating you to be somebody who hears the Lord, who's steady and constant and doesn't get thrown and tossed by the waves of emotion in Christianity. And that I'm, I know that if I ask you to do something that you're going to do it and it won't be because you felt it. It'll be because you, you know that it's me. So that, that satisfied me for like 15, 20 years. 
And then um, I found myself still seeking for something more. And so I was, I was on the platform at John Kilpatrick's church and Apostle D was, was speaking. And there was something in me that was like, I knew that I wanted some, like affirmation from the Lord, like some, for him to give me that. And I, I knew that in the back of my mind that Apostle D was going to be like, Nikki, why don't you come and do altar time? And in that moment, there was a part of me that was like hoping he would as like an affirmation. But at the same, and then in the same breath, in the exact same thought, I just got really angry at myself for even wanting that. And really frustrated that I even wanted that type of affirmation from a man. Uh, and so I started like getting really angry with the Lord. Like, if you would just, if you would just, then I wouldn't need this. If you would just speak to me, if you would just encounter me, if you would just throw me out against the wall, I don't care, do something. I don't want to just be a worker bee for you, but if that's what our relationship is going to be, I just want an encounter with you that's going to change my life forever. And so I went into this dark night of the soul where I was so desperate and hungry for something that wasn't like the Christian answers didn't do anymore for me. Like the things that you grow up learning about God, I was like, I know all of those answers. Like Chris tried to, <laughs> tried to help me and I was just like, that doesn't help me. And he's like, you should preach on Sunday. And I'm like, I don't think there's anything that I believe right now that I could preach. I didn't want to sing, you're a good, good father. Because I'm like, I don't really know. I said, I don't really know. I don't, are you? Because you're not really showing up for me in the way that I'm asking you to. So I started getting really frustrated with the Lord. I went into this deep, dark night of the soul. And I was in Brazil. And this guy was prophesying over me, brought me up on the platform, and he was like, you're going to be a blah, blah, and he was giving me this big prophetic word. I'm going to go to the nations. You know, that's what everybody, especially when you're a worship leader, you're going to get songs from heaven, and you're going to go to the nations. Like, the, I know, you're just, I know that's going to be the word. So I'm standing up there, and I, the whole time he's prophesying over me, and I'm like, bro, if you really knew what I really wanted, I don't want to hear any of this. I don't want that word. I don't want any of it. I don't want any of that. So I went into my room. Everybody spoke Portuguese, so I didn't really have anybody to talk to. So I went into my room, and I knew that I was going to take this time anyway to really go deep with God because at this point I was just locking myself in with the Lord to find an answer. And that's when I wrote that song was in that time of just coming off the platform and hearing this word about me going to the nations and bringing a prophetic voice and all of this big flashy stuff that I was like, if you knew what I really want, all I really want is for you just to touch me and me know that you're there because my whole entire life growing up in church I am not a big crier I'm just not I can't help it I didn't cry when my babies were born I didn't cry when I got married I didn't cry when I went to Disneyland I there's nothing that has been that type of like encounter it's like he's it that relationship with him and he's the only one that has ever been able to pull on my heart like that and so I, I, I did get, like, on a side commercial, I did get some breakthrough with the frustration that I had towards the Lord. And just for those of you who know, he does talk to you. Yes. He speaks to you. Th and so what I found out about myself is that I'm not really 
Like, yes, all of these things I can experience God in, but I'm not really a feeler. I'm not the type of person that's going to walk into a room and feel what everybody's feeling and, like, attach my feelings to it. I'm not the kind of person that typically sees angels and colors and all this kind of stuff. I'm not a seer. I'm not really the type of person that hears the Lord in an audible way. I'm a knower. And there's a lot of people in this room and a lot of men actually that are knowers that you think that because your wife is the one that's having these charismatic experiences that she's the spiritual one and she's the one that hears God. So she can do all the spiritual stuff and I'll just hang in the back and I'll be the usher and I'll just do this thing. And so I just want you to know that you do hear God. He does speak to you and it's a knowing. It's like when I'm on the platform, I'm rarely feeling anything. I just know. It just comes to my mind. It's like the word becomes a thought. And I know that it's true. And I know that it's God. And even though it's not like my favorite way of hearing God, I've had to come to grips with that's needed in the body of Christ. We need people who can hear the Lord, experience the Lord, know it. And that's how it's all beautiful as it comes together. So, you know, this is the sad part about this story is that it's not like I had this big encounter with God that changed everything. Do you want to know what actually brought me out of that dark night of the soul? Gratitude. What I started to find out about myself was I became this little spoiled brat who thought that because I was saved for so long and I've been giving you my life that I, you owe me. <laughs> you owe me an encounter. You owe me something special. You owe me this gift that I've been begging you for. And even though I still have not had that, that throw me against the wall and Heidi Baker encounter, I know that he, it's still going to be the desire of my heart. And it's still going to always be what I really want is just to feel you and cry. That's why when in the words, I want to, what is the words? To sit on my back porch. What are the words? I want to crying because I know you're really there. I want to know that you're really there and know that that tangible. And, and of course, there's been a number of things after that, that God was like, the reason why <laughs> when you're on the platform, you can't just be a puddle is because then you're no good to me anymore. I just become a sobbing mess that can't actually do anything. And so he lets me experience him that in a lot of ways other times. And it's a special gift. And I value those times where I get to cry. They're special. And everybody in our church knows don't touch her. Don't talk to her. Don't lay your hands on her. Don't pray for her. Don't do anything. You're going to wreck it. You're going to make it stop. <laughs> You're going to make it stop. And so that's kind of in a nutshell, that story of that. I think that's all. There's a lot more to it, but I'll just stop. Yeah, I think it's good just for people to hear that because there are so many people in the body that look at Pastor Jim and his tears and the encounter that he has. That's how I encounter the Lord. And it would frustrate my wife. You're like this emotional, like, I thought something was honestly wrong with Nikki. You know, I, I did because our babies are born and I'm over there sobbing and she's just, you know, just, you know, happy, nothing in her wrong, but just not emotional. And some of us take that and that equals not spiritual. And it's the farthest from the truth. It's just identifying how you hear the Lord. Yeah. Anyways, um, I want to say this. I know that that was not really planned, but um, I want to say, first of all, thank you guys for having us here. You guys, I'm going to get emotional. You guys are amazing leaders. Like, you're amazing. Looking at your kids on the platform, watching you two, coming in here, there is such a witness in my spirit. And you guys, I just want to applaud you and say you're doing an awesome job. You guys are 
amazing people, amazing leaders. And you guys in this room really need to honor that. Like I, I was just feeling this right when I walked in here, such a witness of even what we experience all the time in Edmonton. It's the same thing happening right here. There is no level that is any different in the spirit of what we're in and what you're in. But how you honor what you're in determines on if God increases it or not. And how you honor them, and I know you guys know this. You, I, I know you're a people of honor, but I, I feel like, I feel like as a brother coming in, you know, I know I've never been here before. You guys don't know me that well. Some of you not at all. But like, you need to hear me say this because I mean this with everything in me. I, I had the thought in worship, kind of like comparing all the brothers and like who they would be as the disciples to Jesus, us with Papa D. And I really feel like a lot of people see you as like a Peter, but that's not who you are, man. You're a John to him. Like what, even watching how you honor Apostle D and the words, you may not be the closest one on the hunt and fish and buddy-buddy stuff, but I guarantee you, you carry more of his heart and DNA than probably any one of them. Any one of us. To be able to take the words that he says, and I mean marry them in your heart and baptize your culture in them. And I'm not, that's not to discredit any, any other uh, brother. It's not. But it's just to prof- properly affirm you. You're a John, man. You're a John. And uh, it's really incredible to be here and watch your kids. I'm, I was jealous watching all the love joys because you guys are really leading the way uh, in a lot of ways. I mean, my kids, I'm like, man, we need to get our kids around you guys. But it's awesome. Don't you have great leaders? Aren't you thankful for them? Aren't you grateful for the Love Joy family? They're just amazing. Amazing. Yeah, man. Just amazing. I really don't even know which way to go. I think I told Nick yesterday, I've got a lot of stuff swirling in my heart, but I think I'm just going to, I think what's good is for me to maybe tell a little bit of my story so it helps you guys get to know me. And uh, I know that when you did that at our place, it really helped our people connect with your history and like just who Pastor Jim is. Um, I'm 40 years old. I've been married to Nikki for 17 years. We've been uh, dating. We've started dating 18 years ago. Um, I was a a uh, a son of a of a and a grandson of a very prominent military family. All of my all the men in my family were all active duty. They all served officers in the Air Force, officers in the Navy. Uh, and they didn't see that on my life. They told me at one time, they said, if you even make it, you need to join the military. But at best, you're going to be in the infantry in the army. I wasn't the brightest one. <laughs> uh, and that's why uh, they, they thought that that would be the, the best my life could become. And um, it's because I was a hellion as a kid. Ended up running pretty hard from, uh, from God. I, I don't even like to call it that because I didn't really know like God. It was... There was no church life that I had growing up. I was never exposed to anything like this. Had no idea it even existed. If we did go to church, it was like on Christmas or Easter, and it was a special occasion, and we'd show up late, we'd leave early, sit in the back, and it was a very traditional kind of setting. But I had a grandma that was a Baptist, and we didn't spend a lot of time with her as a kid. But when I was uh, running and on drugs and drinking and partying every single day of my life, my parents couldn't handle me. I was 17, and so they made me go live with my grandmother, my Baptist grandmother. 
And I can remember as a 17-year-old skipping school, running, doing all the hard drugs. It went from, you know, weekend warrior to a little bit of weed to like major drugs, hard drugs on a day-to-day basis. And I'd come stumbling in and my grandma would be there in the, in the kitchen or at the kitchen table, dining room table after dinner and her Bible would be open and she'd watch me staggering by and she'd say, boy, God has a plan for your life. You can run, but you cannot hide. And she would tell me that all the time. And so um, I ended up getting in trouble with the law. I was arrested, I think, like 13 times in about 18 months. And um, long story short, the judge got tired of seeing me that uh, they, they, I was supposed to do five years in prison, but thankfully my mom hired a really good lawyer. He got it down to one year in the county jail. And so at 18 years old, here I am in the county jail, and I'll never forget when I got there, I heard the words of my grandmother, you can run, but you cannot hide. And I was walking down the corridor in chains and orange jumpsuit with two officers by my side. And those words come in, but I've got fear in my heart. I'm an 18-year-old kid who's getting ready to go live in a dorm for the next year with people that are on trial for murder, people that are going to be spending the rest of their life in prison. And here I am thrown in this uh, dormitory with them. And uh, so fear is all over me, you know. I'm scared of, of everything. At that point, fear's manifesting. And I, me- I remember in that moment and hearing those words, I said, Lord, if you are real, come on. if you are really real, I need you to show up. And if you do, I'll follow you all the days of my life. So I walk in and in this dorm, it's about 930 in the morning. There's a few guys sitting downstairs and it's a two-story dormitory. It's about the size of a gymnasium, and there's rooms all the way around, and it was dead empty except for uh, people were there. They were just sleeping, but it, in the middle of the dormitory where all the tables were, there was a few guys sitting down having Bible study. And I saw the Bibles open, so I walked up the stairs and sat on the balcony and just looked down watching them and not realizing that the Lord was connecting me with some people that were going to be able to help me in my beginning journey. You never know, like... Don't discredit anyone, even if they're in jail. Like, I don't care if people are on the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. The Lord will use anybody to help you in your journey. If your heart is open, man, I'm telling you, he'll use them. And so so I ended up going to that Bible study, ended up getting radically born again. And a hunger for the word, I'd never opened the Bible. I'd tried to open it and read it a couple times when I was like, I'd get... I'd get drunk and have curious questions, and so I'd try to find things that I heard, scriptures that weren't even really in there. Cleanliness is next to godliness or something like that. Where's that one at? Try to show my friends that stunk, you know. no, No history with the word. And when that encounter happened, I would lay in bed for hours, 10, 11 hours a day, feasting and reading. And it was like alive. I got to the book of Acts where fire fell on them in a prayer meeting and they all began to speak in tongues. I said, Lord, I want this. Like if that still happens, I want that. None of those guys were, 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 uh, they, they, they weren't, they didn't have a, a, a friendship with Holy spirit. Their revelation stopped at the father and Jesus. And so I remember one guy though did, and I was asking him about it. And he said, he said, yeah, man, you can receive that. It's easy. I said, really? It's easy. He said, oh, yeah. He said, we'll pray right now. 
So I said, okay, let's do it. So we walked down and around the corner, kind of in this corner section of where the dorm was, where people weren't all right their eyes on us. And he said, I just want you to open your hand, close your eyes, and I just want you to start thanking God for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I did. And he said, just hallelujah. I'll never forget what he said. Hallelujah is the highest form of praise you can give him. And I started saying that over and over. And the Spirit of God hit me in that place. I'm talking fire fell on me. I started praying as loud as I could in the spirit. The entire dormitory dormitory heard me. I started shaking, shook for three days under the power of God. Guards wouldn't go near me. They'd have to bring me my food. Most of the time I wouldn't even eat it. People wouldn't get around me. Guards would like stay away because of the fire that was on me. Yeah, come on. What happened after that? I'll tell you what happened after that. When you're on fire like that, you just want to share it with everybody. Come on, come on. So every day I went back to my dormitory in my room and I said, guys, this is now the house of God. We'll be having church in here every single day. If you don't like it, you better find a new room. That fearful little timid 18-year-old walked in and told grown men, if this is the house of God, if you don't like it, find another room. A couple of them stayed, a few of them left. And every day after dinner, we would take our bunks down and we would make church pews in that room. Wow. And I would walk out to the, it was on the top floor. I'd walk out in a dormitory with 250 inmates and I would yell as loud as I could. It's church time. It's church time. It's church time. If anybody wants to come hear the word of God, come in my room. And there was about three people that showed up the first day. And I preached my heart out for about a full six minutes. In the course of the one year, it went from three people to people packed in that room every single night, standing room only, only people standing outside the door, hundreds of salvations, dozens of healings. There was a man that was healed of AIDS in that room. There was one time in that room, we, we didn't have anointing oil. I, I would read that, you know, anoint the sick with, with oil and the prayer of Call for the elders of the church. Well, we had some elders in there. We thought that was age. And so we, I just said, you're an elder, you're an elder, you're an elder. And we needed some oil. We didn't have any oil. So we took some shampoo and mixed it with water and prayed over it and blessed it. And in faith said, on, God, I believe you can touch this. And we'd anoint the sick. One of the craziest things that I've ever witnessed in my life was I seen the Shekinah glory of God. And it came in our room. And hours felt like seconds. There wasn't a dry eye in that place. Every, there was an Ethiopian man, or not an Ethiopian man, a, a, a man from Haiti that barely spoke English, and his name was Yudi. I'll never forget this man. He rolled off his top bunk on his face for hours, wept, and I mean, it felt like seconds, in a cloud, a tangible cloud in the room. Come on. That was my foundation to real Christianity. Come on, I got out, and uh, you know the chaplain in there. They, they were. They said, "Man, you need to get into a good Bible-believing, faith-based church." And I said, I'm, "I'm going to. I'm going to." Now you have to understand. It, there's no instruments in there. We didn't know worship songs. Occasionally, you'd hear somebody that had some church history that would come teach us. And when we got a new worship song, it was like Christmas morning. Yeah. <laughs> it was like somebody's teaching us something new, and man, we'd weep. We'd learn it and weep for hours singing these songs that we would like. No, and this this would have been in the this would have been in the Hillsong day. 
you know, shout to the Lord and yeah. stuff like that. And uh, funny story, I remember they did show some Christian television in there, and Darlene Check was there one time, came on, and I stared at her. I said, that's going to be my wife one day. <laughs> Not realizing that she was a grandma. <laughs> she just was a good-looking grandma, <laughs> you know? I didn't know she was married. and God sent me one better than Darlene. That's right. That's right. So I get out, and uh, I'm just hungry for fellowship for church. I'd never heard a worship song with instruments, you know, not live. And uh, so I go to this church, Pentecostal denomination, and um, I just, I'll just tell you, it was Assemblies of God Church. And uh, I walk in, and during worship, I thought I was in the throne room of God. The sounds with the instruments and the music and the harmonies together. And now, I didn't, nobody told me what you can and can't do in a church. All I knew is how to worship with some inmates. And nobody showed us how to worship. We just did what was in our heart. I mean, when we felt like dancing, we danced. When we felt like jumping, we'd jump. When we felt like shouting, we'd shout. Now, you put this fiery, baptized person that's been immersed in no religion whatsoever, and I'm in this church, and I'm feeling it, man. I'm like, this is awesome. And I remember lifting my hands and shouting as loud as I could. I mean, just shouting. And a guy came up to me in the back, and he touched me on the shoulder, and he said, sir. I said, yes, sir. He said, you're scaring people. (laughs) And I didn't realize, like, I I mean, I felt bad. I felt bad. But then I started thinking, man, I cannot, I can't contain this. I can't contain this. Are you kidding me? I feel like I'd be disobedient to God to not shout like that. I mean, I read in the Bible, it is a commandment to me to shout to the Lord. And it's an act of worship, and so I had to go find my people. So I found a place down the street, a, it was like a teen challenge. It was called Harvest Vineyard, and uh, they met on Thursday nights. And, man, I walked in that place, and it was like guys that were coming off drugs, alcoholics, women that were living in the streets that all would come here to try to clean their life up. And God would come in and kiss that place, and it, was, it reminded me just like the jail cell. And I said, man, this is my people. This is what I need to do. This is like, I'm in this. So built a relationship with the leaders. They offered me a job there. It was a no-brainer. I quit my job. I was a tile setter. I quit my job. Went to my grandfather's. I was staying with him, and I told him that he was the former mayor of our city. He's a retired naval naval officer. He was George Bush Sr.'s campaign manager, and he was the mayor of our city for four terms. So it going to a guy like that and telling him I'm quitting my job and I'm going to work at the drug and alcohol rehab was not going to be a good conversation and I knew it. And I knew it. But I'll never forget, and this is why he's one of my heroes, when I told him, he said, the hand of God is on you. There is no question about it. He said, I don't think it's a wise decision financially, but he said, I feel like if you don't do what you feel like God's telling you to do, that's going to be trouble for you. And thankfully, he had enough, enough wisdom and sight to see that. And so I did. And then Nikki, who finished high school, comes down to Crestview, Florida, and she starts interning with a worship leader 
that, um, that uh, I knew, and he introduced us together, introduced us, and, and uh, I told her a week later, I said, you're going to be my wife. And so I know people like dish that stuff. That stuff works. <laughs> so she ended up getting hired on at the drug and alcohol rehab, and we started working there together. And for three years after we were married, we stayed there. And uh, the Lord connected us with a man named Kyle Searcy during that time. He's a pastor in Montgomery, Alabama. He was really kind of like a uh, what a, a Tim Sheets is to, to Jim and Tina. Kyle was that to Chris and Nikki and um, really helped get us exposed to um, things that we just weren't around and needed to grow in and mature in and get some wisdom. And uh, it was in 2005 that one of the guys that I knew back, uh, in that um, drug and alcohol rehab, he handed me a CD though. And he said, I need you to listen to this. Or it was a DVD actually. I want you to watch this. And I watched it. And it was this highlighted hair, no beard, barefooted, clothes too big, bracelets and chains and necklaces, leather stuff, all over this John the Baptist wild man preaching in Hamilton, Alabama. And it lit me on fire. I, this, is, this is who I'm called to run with. That's right. And it was a sound that I heard that awakened something on the inside of me. It wasn't even the content. I didn't even understand half the stuff the man was saying, but it was the sound that yeah. Yeah. reverberated from spirit to spirit that awakened something on the inside of me. And so I remember telling Kyle Searcy that, and he said he'd never heard of him. And then, um, and then in 2008, uh, the call was going on there in Montgomery, and uh, Nikki was uh, kind of exposed to, to Lou, and Lee, she got the chance to lead worship at some of the pre-call rallies back then. Well, Apostle Damon Thompson was scheduled to preach there. And Kyle Searcy knew that I was, I was like, had a major man crush. And so that's what he would call it. And so he said, he said, I want you to, I want you to meet him. So he brought me back to his office and we met. And uh, it was from that point forward. I'm not going to go into all the details that we got connected. And um, thankfully, there's leaders like Kyle Searcy and Tim Sheets that understand that they don't have to be the only voice, but can be a voice. That's right. That helps that's us right. get to the ultimate main voice that needs to be in our life. And so... We ended up, uh, I feel like I'm rambling now. Is it okay? Okay. Uh, yeah. I guess that's what tonight will be, getting to know Chris and Nikki. Um, yeah, so we, we uh, in that time, before we really got joined to Apostle D, um, Pastor Kyle um, really saw the church planting thing on Nikki and I and, and spoke into it, helped nurture it, cultivated it, um, we didn't really know what it was. We knew that working at the drug and alcohol rehab was not the ultimate will of Yahweh for our life. And we started to recognize that church planting thing. We would call some of that the apostolic thing now. Um, and Pastor Kyle saw that and he helped nurture that. And so we ended up moving to Montgomery and living there with them uh, for, for a season. And it was in that time that God started to open my heart to Canada. It was really strange. Actually, it was a little bit before that. I think before we left Florida in the process, wasn't it? Yeah, it was while we were there in that process. The Lord, it's, it's amazing that your entire destiny can be based on a question. It was literally not a word that I got from God. It was a thought that I had, what if? Come on. 
I remember getting out of the shower and the thought hit, what if God sent us to Canada and used us? That's literally where it started. There was no there was nothing that hit me in prayer. There was nothing that came on me in a dream yet. It was literally, what if God wants to send us to Canada? Nikki's reply was, absolutely not. <laughs> like, I left that. I left the cold. I like the sun. I don't want to go live in minus 30 degree weather again. And, uh, but I was, I was just, okay, well, what if? So we get to Montgomery and we're in a service and Pastor Kyle walks up to me one day and he goes, what's the Lord saying to you about Canada? Come on. And I said, ooh. I said, I'm just posing that question as well myself. I said, basically just told him the same thing. And he said, I really believe that God is going to use you and send you to Canada. So I had a dream not too long after that, that I was walking in their church office. Their church was about 3,000 people at the time. And um, Nikki was the receptionist there. I was basically paid to clean the church and to follow him around. That's all I did. I'd clean the church and follow Kyle Searcy around kind of like a mole attached to him. It was so awkward at times. You're just walking around with him meeting with people, and there I am just hanging out. Like, who's that white guy? His church was all African-Americans, you know? And they're like, who's that white guy that's always with you? He's like, oh, that's Chris. Oh, he's going to be a great church planner one day. And I'm like sitting there like, <laughs> awkward. <laughs> and uh, so it was, it was during that season, I, I had a dream one night, and I was walking into the church office, and I was met by another assistant that worked for the office, Rolanda, she was, um, she was a, an administration assistant there. And I walked in and, and, and she's sitting there and there's gifts, there's presents from the floor to the ceiling all over the office. And I said, who are these for, Rolanda? She said, oh, you didn't know? I said, no. She goes, these are for you. And in the dream, I'm looking at them and there's two, dream, two gifts that were not wrapped up. One was a flat screen television that was massive. The other one was a tailor-made guitar beautiful, with a map of Canada on it. Wow. And I woke up, and I felt like the Lord started to speak in that time. I said, what was that about, the TV? He said, I'm going to use you in Canada, and there's going to be a reach that you could never do on your own. He said, and the guitar represents your wife, which I'm tailor-making a sound that will reach that nation from coast to wow. coast. So I go back to Kyle, and I'm telling him this, and he says you need to go to Canada. So we started preparing in 2008, 2008, seven, eight, to, to move our family, which was just Nikki and I at the time. We had no kids then, to Canada and start a work. This is before Crestview. Yeah. We were planning to go to Canada and start a work. So we, we go. He sends us up there. He pays for us a flight to go pray on a prayer assignment in Edmonton, Alberta in February of 2008, and it was a cold that I knew not of. <laughs> Literally get there, and I'm thinking, I don't know. I don't know, God. This is pretty stinking cold, man. Like, this is, you, We went into a church service, had a water bottle, left it in the car, was in there for two hours, came back, and it was frozen solid. Like, it cold. Cold. So, so anyways... So we go, we get there, and, and I had been to Canada a few times preaching and ministering for some friends, but we get there, and all of a sudden, uh, we get called into this office at Customs. Like, Mr. Mathis, you need to go to, down there. And this has never happened before. So we get thrown in this Customs room, and uh, actually, I'm telling it wrong. This did happen before. That happened at the border. Yes, 
Yeah, so I didn't know. No, because this would have been after. This would have been before that. Okay. Anyways, I had been there already, and they put me in this room. And because of my history with the law, all that stuff shows up when they swipe that thing called passport. And they throw me in this room, and uh, and the lady's like, Mr. Mathis, have you been arrested before? And, and in my mind, I'm like, man, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. You know? Like... And so I tell her, I was like, yeah, I've had some trouble with the law. She's like, well, like what? And I said, I think I had like a battery charge and a trespassing charge. She's like, anything else? I'm like, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> She's like, well, uh, what is this uh, grand theft and uh, this um, racketeering fake ID? What is this? Um, and she starts reading all this list off. Ba- yeah, all these li- battery fighting, fighting, fighting. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that. Oh, yeah, that. Oh, yeah, that. She said, Mr. Mathis, you're not, you, you're not uh, admissible. Into, you're not a, we can't admit you into Canada. Denied. And so anyways, we went through that whole process. And uh, so we're coming back to pray over Canada. God's going to send us there. And I'm thinking somehow, I mean, if an angel can get Peter out of prison, surely he can get me into my assignment. <laughs> so they put me in this room and they are like, we get there and they come to us and they said, have you been denied from coming into the country before? And I was like, uh... Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. They, they looked at me and they said, you know, you're not supposed to be here. So it, it was this weird tension because I knew that I was supposed to be there. Right. Come on. Come on. And I'm having all kinds of hell forces stopping me from getting there. Wow. Well, so Nikki was there and thankfully Nikki came up and saved the day and convinced the border agent that we're only going to be here for a little window and we're going to see her family. We're married. And so he writes me a temporary seven-day pass to get into Canada. And he said, you got seven days. If you don't leave in seven days, we're going to arrest you. And so seven days, they gave me to go into the country. And then we leave. And I, I asked them, and that mean, I said, what do I got to do to get all this behind me? And they said, uh, this is what you have to do. And it, it was an extensive, took, I think, from that period, it took about seven years. No, was it? Yeah, it felt like seven years. Nikki says two, but I mean, I feel like there's probably 600 people in this room right now too. (laughs) At least least I'll tell people that. How many were there? Jimmy, 600. Listen, one of my proverbs, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. (laughs) I said evangelist, right? 70 got saved, 52 were in the meeting. Yeah. So we go through this long process of, uh, of having to get all this paperwork done. And obviously, we have this word to go to Canada, but I can't go. And so, like, what do we do? What do we do? But the timing of the Lord is so important for us to understand, like the preparation process. Like I start thinking about now what we're in. If we would have gone back then, we wouldn't have been ready. Wow, come on. We possibly could have even ruined any potential or future opportunity to be in what we're in now. And it was the Lord that put his finger to stop what we knew was a right word, just the wrong time 
where he physically limited. I could not. There was no barrier that I could overcome to make this happen. And everything in my heart knew it was right. It's, it's, it's really important to not just know the word of the Lord, but the timing of the Lord. Yes. I would have never met Papa D. Golf streamer, but would have never met any of that, never had any of that, never got the experience, never would have had the chance to overcome the sting of betrayal and really be mature enough and ready enough to when it happened again that I wouldn't get my heart bitter and cold. Come on, so good. Come on, that's good. We read through the book of Acts. We we read through the book of Acts and we read Paul who was once saw his con- conversion. And then we turn the page and then we read his first missionary journey and we turn the page and read his second and we read all these stories. The, the time that Saul was converted and sat in the church of Antioch until the time that the prophets laid hands on him and the Holy Spirit spoke was estimated to be 12 years. We read that like it's the next day. 12 years sitting in a corporate apostolic prophetic environment doing what? Getting mature. Sitting under fathers and mothers that is doing something to the inside of him, preparing him for what is coming. I had to sit and I had to meet Papa D and I had to go to Crestview and I had to do those things before I was completely ready because if we would have went prematurely, we would absolutely not be in what we're in. We're honestly, Nikki and I, it, it blows my mind. I got convicted tonight. I really did. I was, I was doing some business with God in this room because even being here has been so refreshing for my soul in this meeting, I don't, I don't travel anywhere outside of Canada to minister. I, 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 I just don't because it's not my assignment. Um, Brad Custer asked us to come this year. Love him to death, but just had to politely decline. It's just not my assignment, man. I knew I needed to come here. I didn't really understand why. I didn't really understand why. I still don't understand probably the fullness of it. But, man, I'm going to tell you, when I was in, the room, in Pastor Jimmy's office, you were praying about angels from Abbotsford coming to assist. Whew, but I'm going to tell you, I, I wasn't feeling nothing walking in. I was kind of tired because they drug us out late last night. <laughs> it really wasn't that late. But, but I'm walking in here and I'm still kind of wrestling like, What's happening tonight? What, what is really my role? I'm not the traveling guy. Out of all the people and the sons that, that preach and minister, I'm not the best preacher out of all of them. Like, you want to get good preaching, bring in Bryn Waddell, you know? Like, there's some powerful boys that are in our camp. And, and I'm just trying to figure out, like, what, what is my role here? And then all of a sudden, I hear angels from Abbotsford, and just I get smacked with the wind of God in your office. I mean, you walked in, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Because for one, I understand the history of Abbotsford and, and the, the company of prophets that were there and the revival history in that city for British Columbia, Canada. And I understand, you know, right there next to it is Langley, B.C. And I understand And Abbotsford is actually the birthplace for Todd Bentley's ministry. 
Houston, Abbotsford. And I think there's some angels that have been waiting on an assignment from a revivalist. I feel like there's some angels that have just been in limbo waiting. And what other place better than Ohio? I pulled up some statistics during worship. There's 325 Canadian-owned businesses that employ 21,574 workers in Ohio. Ohio sells more goods to Canada than to its next seven largest foreign markets combined. It's crazy. Like you read these facts from technology to farming, the the goods and the commerce that go back and forth between Ohio and Canada is unlike any other state in this nation. And so it makes sense that even in the spirit, there's angels that are waiting to transact and drop mantles and drop graces and drop assignments. And it's prophetic that you coming up and me coming down right after. It's like this whole just picture of of what God's doing in the spirit is happening already in the natural. And it's beautiful. And I don't know the fullness of it or what it means, but I know that it's right for me to be here. And I know it's right for Nikki to be here. Really wish my kids were here. There's so much history in Canada pertaining to revival that a lot of Americans are not familiar with. In the early 1940s, in a place called North Battleford, Saskatchewan, you guys would know this area for big bucks, and there are big ones there. North Battleford, Saskatchewan, there was a Bible school there, and these Bible school students got a hold of a book called The Atomic Power of Prayer and Fasting. And it just struck them so much, and they had this hunger, this grace to fast. And there was kids doing 40-day water fasts. There was grandmothers doing them. And it was just this whole culture that would, you know, just their hunger for God caused them to just abstain from natural things and seek his face. Well, that was actually the birthplace. God met them there. It was the birthplace of the latter rain revival, right, in North Battleford, Saskatchewan. So we get to Canada, and, of course, we're driving there. And I, I literally, on our way to Edmonton, we made the drive several times during that time. Our kids hated it. But when we, like our last drive, we're driving in the city of North Battleford. I'll never forget this. This was February 2017. And we're in the 18, maybe, 17, 17. And we're in the city, and the Lord starts downloading just glimpses and pictures of what was actually happening, the rumblings of that revival. And I'm driving through the city praying, saying, God, do it again. God, I'm not just moving to this nation to pastor a group of religious people. I'm moving my family and saying yes to this word after holding on to it for for 15 years at the time. I've been waiting. I've been waiting. I've been sitting. I've been, Lord, believing for something to happen in this nation. And we're driving through North Battleford. And this is the cry of my heart as we're driving through. Later that year... I don't even know how it all happened. Nikki and I are standing back in North Battleford in front of 3,000 people who are there just to gather and pray. 
They're, they're there to gather and pray. Somehow we got invited to come speak and she got invited to come lead worship. And here we are in that city later that year. And we're starting to see the rumbling of the fruit in that nation begin to happen. We plant and things go pretty good. You know, you do the growth thing and you start realizing when you start getting attention and attraction, it's not always cut out what it is, what you think it is. And uh, God really started blessing our movement. And it was in 2019 that um, I was praying and asking the Lord. Um, I said, Lord, like, we're having great services and I love this, but I, I want the kiss, like the real kiss. Like something that's going to transform our culture. Nikki and I were honestly a little frustrated because we weren't seeing the response in a lot of ways like we did in Florida with our people. Like Florida, when we were in Crestview, blowing and going there, we'd have a room full of 500 people, and, and a good quarter of the people were young people at the altar laying down weeping under the power of God. I don't know if you were there when Eddie was with us. Eddie one time came in and got rocked. I mean, just rocked. He's lay, laying there on the altar with kids just all around him weeping and crying, just praying and, you know, praying in the Spirit. It's powerful. So we weren't seeing that in, in Edmonton. And it would kind of frustrate Nikki and I. We were praying, Lord, like, how do we get these people to experience this? How do we get our young people to experience this? And um, we had our start conference in 2019. And we had Dan Moeller, who was um, scheduled to be with us. And uh, it, was, it was Dan, uh, Corey Russell, few other people, a few other friends. And uh, they all came. Dan was like the last one. He was the highlight guy. Like up, up Canada loves him. I mean, you bring in Dan Moeller, you're going to draw 2,000 people easy. And so, so we had Dan come in. He's the last guy. We've got all these people coming in from all over Alberta, driving eight, nine, ten hours to get there, people flying in for Dan. And, uh, and so Dan calls me the morning that he's supposed to be there. He's like, Chris, I can't come. I'm like, well, wh why not? He said, I am snowed in. There's no flights getting out. He said, I can't come. And so I'm sitting there like, oh, my gosh, like, what do we do? And then you deal with the whole administrative side. Like, do we send out an email? Do we not? Do we, you know, do I, do I completely ruin everybody's night by saying, Dan can't come, guys, sorry. But you got me. Like, <laughs> like you know, how, how do you navigate this? And so I, I called Dan back. I'm like, dude, what do you think? Like, what would you do? He said, just let him come. At the beginning of the meeting, he said, just let everybody know what happened. He said, just go after Jesus. That's probably, probably pretty good advice, Dan. Thank you. So I did. We got up and shared with everyone. Dan couldn't be there. The response in that room was incredible, something that I had never seen before. It was almost like they could care less. And people started worshiping and just honoring the Lord. People that drove 10 hours to come hear this, man. People that got bought air flights, flew all the way there. I mean, there wasn't a level of disappointment. And the kiss of God that we had been praying for finally came. It finally came. There was people getting healed walking in the building. There was people that were on crutches with casts. I mean, there was one report that we got that a lady cut her cast off that, you know, got prayer. There was a guy that got hit by a, 
fell off a bulldozer or something and couldn't lift his arm. And it, we're, we've got testimonies going already on the stage. And this guy comes up to me and he said, Chris, I got I to gotta tell you something. He said, I was hearing all these testimonies of what's happening in, happening in the meeting. And he said, honestly, I thought you guys paid these people. He said, I literally thought you guys paid these people to say that. He said, but I haven't been able to lift my arm in three years. And all of a sudden I noticed something's changing in my arm. And he said, I tried to lift it and I could lift come it. On, on, Even on. in his criticism, God's goodness healed him. Yeah, yeah. It's like the kiss finally came. Our kids, my son Judah, if he's encountering the Lord, it's very real. He's like Nikki, zero emotion. It's, they are the same person. And if, if, if he's feeling it, God is in the room and he's at the altar. Hands lifted up. I mean, kids weeping, getting touched by the power of God. It was the kiss that we were waiting on. Had a young girl get caught up in a vision and seeing the throne of God. I mean, it was, it was just crazy, the, the miracles, the signs and wonders. And then all of a sudden, we were in that for two months. And then COVID hit. And you talk about being punched in the gut. Because Canada was not like Ohio when it came to COVID. You look up my wife's name, you'll find her. She got kidnapped and put into a quarantine facility and threw her in the white van, whole deal, trying to come back. It was completely different. Um, And so it was like our community and world just dried up. Thankfully, the goodness of God does not withhold himself because things are stopping everywhere else. And one of the paradigms that we had to really understand is that revival is not fragile, that you don't have to meet every single night. I mean, we'd heard that, knew that in theory, but really walking that out where revival, now we're being put to the test when we meet, meet again. And God in his goodness, man, has kissed us in such a way. I, would, I really wish all of you can come experience it. And I can't take any credit for it. Nikki can't take any credit. If anybody is going to take credit, it's Nikki. Because she does a way better job than I do. I just, honestly, you just get up and you lead and by just not doing anything. Letting God move. Yeah. And it's just so easy and rich and great. Yeah. And we love it. And we feel like we have are living in the greatest days of our lives. And I back to me having to repent over here a little bit is because I feel like um, being here around you guys and just watching the passion in you and your people uh, convicts me in a very good way. It's a true north. It's a true north, and it convicted me tonight. And I had tears that I haven't had in a few weeks hit me tonight. And I thank God for that. And I'm here to, if do anything, I might preach something to him tonight. I'm just talking, rambling. But I'm here, I think, more than anything tonight to say you guys are on a true north path. Your pastors are called, I can see it very clearly, to more than just this room. They're called to host presence meetings for the entire state. I believe to the entire Northeast. There's an apostolic gatekeeping grace on them. And I just, I just want to applaud again, you guys, but also I really want you people to understand the people of this body. Start honoring what God is doing in a tremendous way, because let me be the witness. 
I'm telling you, when I walked in this room tonight, every bit of presence that I felt is not any, any level uh, less than what we're in in Edmonton. The only difference is people show up, and a lot of them. That's the only difference. But that's going to happen here. That is going to happen here. We can speed that up by our level of honoring what's happening here. And I want to I I just dismantle any lie that says growth is bad or growth is ambitious or growth is something that we need to be afraid of. Like anybody that's walked with Papa D for five years and you've made it past the five-year mark, there's no ambition in you anymore. That thing is dead. But we swing the pendulum the other direction because we're so afraid of looking ambitious. We're so afraid of, I don't want to look like I'm out there just doing it and trying to build and be systematic again, you know. When that's uprooted out of you, it's okay. Be free. Now go build with the right heart. Wow. Now go grow because God does want his house full. There's no question about it. It is not the Lord's will that that section is empty tonight. Or that section, or that section. Like, he wants his house full. And I think me, almost being a forerunner in the family in that as a son, like, you guys are right there. I mean, you guys are probably the second largest church out of all the sons. Go big. Like, just go for it. Go for it. It's okay. Some of you don't want to be big, though. You know how I know it? I have experience. Because what growth means is change. We equally want growth, but we don't want change. And the two can't not coincide. Here's the biggest challenge is your proximity to these guys. Because growth means less proximity to them. Growth means, man, I can't hang out with them like I used to. I don't know if I want that. Well, do you want your city to really experience the key to revival, which is this place? Or are you just too concerned with your relationship and your proximity to the love joys? These are questions you really have to like embrace and head, deal with head on and have the honest conversation and be true to yourself. If you want to just do the mom and pop family dinner, chicken dinner after church on Sundays, like this ain't the place. I mean, you guys will do that. You do a great job at it. But I mean, I'm telling you, God wants to send blind eyes through these doors and they walk out seeing. God wants to send alcoholics through these doors and they drop the bottle down at the altar. He wants to take those that are addicted to crack cocaine in these streets and fentanyl and and shut down drug dealers operations and in prostitution and Crack houses end up just being swallowed up by the glory of God. Like that's what the that's what you are to this region. You are the key to that. Or we can say, "Well, I don't want to be that because I just like my time with Pastor Jimmy." It's the biggest. Re- I get people mad with us all the time. Like people, I literally will have people message me saying, "I just want to meet with you to get to know you." I'm sorry, like. I'm not going to do that. I can't. I would not be a good husband or a good father. There's just no way I can at our size. 
And that's the challenge that you guys have to walk to. Because when you want to be with everybody, you either run yourself ragged and you end up dying early because you're just everybody's need, filling everybody's need, or you have to come to grips and say, you know what, it's good to just empower and release some other people to do what I don't really need to do. We had, a, we had a very interesting dynamic in our culture that you guys don't have is I planted the church in Canada living in Florida. And for 18 months, flew back and forth wow. once a month. Wow, wow, wow. That forced me to put people in place and trust them to do what I tell them to do when I'm not there. So when we did move there, honestly, we went through an identity crisis. Because we were like, man, nobody needs us. Nobody's calling us. Nobody's, I mean, everything was just rolling and working. I'm like, man, what the heck's wrong with these people? We're here. Hello, we've arrived. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, looking back, it was a benefit that not a lot of people get. We had to do more of the shape, shifting in our hearts because of how we led in Florida to how we now are leading there. We had to do the most shifting because there, they'd already got it. They weren't expecting to go to dinner with me on Friday night because I didn't live there. So what you need to do is move about 13 hours away from the church. No. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, move to Mobile and fly up here twice a month. Everybody got people genuinely getting nervous because they wouldn't put it past you. <laughs> yeah, I know it. Yeah. Yeah. What time do you guys want to finish? I'm being serious. Like, what time do you guys want to finish? All right. I'm a, I'm a, I feel like I need to give some more. Um, Mark chapter 2, I want to show you something. Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12. And uh, I'm going to be in the New King James Version as I read this. And just feel free to listen. You can write it down and go back and read it later. Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together, so there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. I'm going to pause right there. I'm going to just break this whole thing down. What does that tell me? The Lord desires his house to be full. Yeah. He desires his house to be full. You see this in verse 2. Immediately, many gathered together so that there's no longer room for anyone to get in, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. I, I'm a firm believer. I used to teach this in a way that I don't anymore because I used to say where the presence of God is, people will show up. But that's not always the case. I know a lot of places that the presence of God is yeah. that's still small. What I found is we have to have enough wisdom, administration, the ability to, to get outside small thinking to facilitate something bigger that is actually the Lord's art. It's actually called being a good steward. Wow, come on. This stuff isn't taught in our culture. I love this stuff. I thrive on yeah. this kind of stuff. My, I'm not the guy that's going to read any prophetic books. I mean, I used to when I was, you know, a young Christian. Like, I'm the guy that's going to read strategy books, John Maxwell stuff. And, you know, I get made fun of by everybody by it in our family. But it's okay. I'm, I'm me, you know. But I have learned some things on how to actually be a good steward and how to, how to create a wineskin or container that can be used to be full. 
or to continue to fill up, if that makes sense. And the Lord wants this, and we have to shift our thinking. One of the biggest problems, or I would say struggles for, for a lot of our movement, I'm not just talking about our family, our, the charismatic revival movement is, is we all think small. Yeah. We think small. And then we make stupid excuses like, well, people don't come because they don't want to hear the truth. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. No, people don't want to come because there's not a wineskin that can facilitate them. So Jesus is here. His presence is there, but it's full. What's the difference? I believe, I really believe this. If we would be, if we were a fly on the wall in Jesus' day, yes, there's the magnetic nature of his physical word being made flesh, but I guarantee you there was also an administration side that his disciples and the people that were following him were operating in. There, there had to have been. We're hearing some of this being taught by even pops recently, having them sit down in groups of 50. You know, there's, there's a whole administration side to that. We had a word when we went through COVID, because we, we, by law, couldn't gather more than 50. And pops called us. He said, I really feel like I have a word. This is the word of the Lord for you. You're going to sit down in groups of 50. So we did. We broke up our entire congregation and had groups of 50 meet in different locations all throughout our city. And, uh, and, and different times throughout the week. And it was, what is that? That's called strategy and administration. Yeah. Yes. That's all that is. Yes. God wants this church to grow. He does. There is a epidemic in North America and it's dying churches. Do you know that 90% of churches in North America are 70 people or less? You guys are honestly probably like a mega church, really, if you think about per capita. (laughs) But but 90% of of churches in North America are 70 or less. Less than 20% of people in America regularly attend a worship service or a local congregation, which means they're not plugged into any sort of kingdom community. In Canada, that's even a lot lower. One of the benefits that we have is we don't have a church on every corner where I live. One of the benefits that we have is we have not been oversaturated with the gospel, which can sometimes work against you. Man, in Crestview, I can go to anybody on the street and say, hey, man, I want to pray for you. You know, the Lord has a plan for your life. Oh, yeah, 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 I already know that. I know that. My my, my grandma was a Baptist preacher. You know, I know know the word. I, I grew up in Sunday school with a crack pipe in their hand. Where I live, it is not uncommon to go up to someone and preach the gospel to them, and they look at you confound, like confused. They've never heard it in their life. Wow, wow. Ever. Yeah. In North America. That happens on a very regular basis. Jesus in the center, yes. Jesus plus nothing, yes. But that is not an excuse for poor administration. I know your leaders, and I know Pastor Jim is former Marine, former football coach. If I'm ever in a fight, I'd want him right by me. There's no question about that. The level of discipline, the level of order, like that... that he walks in, excellence that he walks in, like 
if you've been here for more than, I'd say, 18 months and you don't have the same level of discipline or excellence, you're not really walking after his heart. And I don't say that in a condemning way. I'm just saying this to like, like we say we want to be the facilitator for revival. You have a model of a kingdom man and woman that I guarantee you, if I could take a hundred Pastor Jimmy's and put them where you're sitting with his real heart, like his excellence, he is not going to be the guy that's late for anything. If he's on time, he considers that late. That's going to be this man. If I can take a hundred of him and put them in the seats in this room, there is no question in my mind this church would double within 60 days. 100%. I'm saying that to really challenge us or provoke us to say, man, if I really honor and really look at him and I want to be just like him, because you should follow him as he follows Christ. And I really value him in the words, like the, in the same way he does with his spiritual father. That you don't just take words he says and just let them go casually. You go home and you write them down and you make books and you document it because it's the word of the Lord. I promise you, this, this, this city would be turned upside down in one year. I, I, I want you to let that sink in and really just think about that. Consider what I'm saying. Really weighty. I've watched some of your teachings. I know what he's going after, the practical side of things right now with health and, 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 and uh, finances, and I think it's perfect because that's what he walks in. This okay? Yeah, this is fantastic. You sure? Okay. It's always intimidating going to a, like a brother that's, that's a pure preacher and preaching for him because it's not the same thing. And like, I know what you're used to. I, I tune into your live streams. I know what kind of services you guys have. Ah, Jimmy running around here, you know, just, just all fired up and preaching his heart out. I've, that's, that's his prayer life. That's, that's his life playing pool. That's his life. That's his, that's his life. I mean, last night, I, you know, I fly all the way to Ohio. He just ditches me for another Marine Corps guy that meets him. And they're over there talking, hunting. And I'm, that's Jimmy. He, he's, he is intense 100% of the time. He's a Marine Corps. Marine Corps. Marine Corps birthday yesterday. He's like, hoorah. You know? <laughs> so it's always fun coming in. And, and, and I know this isn't the style that you typically get. But, but um, yeah, that's why I ask. Is this okay? You good? Because... Okay. It wouldn't hurt my feelings if it's not. I'd just get Nikki back up there. I'm really secure. I'm okay. It wouldn't hurt my feelings at all. But don't want to also waste your time or make you feel like we could be doing something different. We also see here, so we see a couple things in Mark 2. Number one, he desires his house to be full. He desires his house to be a house of the word because when it was full, what did he do? He gave them bread. He preached the word to them. That's what it says. And he preached the word to them. He preached the word to them. Then they came in bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. What does that tell me? This is a prophetic symbol of an open heaven. This place is a portal where the heavens open. But who did it? Who opened that portal? 
The people. It was the people. It wasn't Jesus. Jesus didn't climb on a ladder and Jesus didn't speak to it and say, open up. No, it was the people in their hunger that said, there's a gate. They uncovered the roof where he was. So it's a, it, he wants his house to be full. He wants his house to be a house of the word. He wants his house to be a house of open heavens. It says, so when they had broken through, he wants his house to be a house of breakthrough for people. His house is meant to be a place of breakthrough where people that are dealing with anxiety walk in and all of a sudden anxiety just falls off and they break through. It's a house where marriages are falling apart and they're crumbling and they don't know how to communicate with one another and they're always bickering and fighting and there's never even a real reason. You come in the house of God and because it's a house of the word and it's a house where his presence is and it's a house where the open heavens reside, it's a house where people just automatically get breakthrough. When they had broken through, so they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw what? Their faith. It's a place of faith. Jesus saw their faith. I love this because this messes with me theologically. When he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic guy, who didn't ask for healing, he didn't ask for forgiveness, He saw their faith, and he looks at that guy and says, hey, your sins are forgiven. That guy didn't do anything. That guy was laying on a mat. He didn't pray, Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, heal me. The faith of four friends caused forgiveness for a man that didn't even ask for it. Your salvation is not as fragile as you think it is. And you got to start believing that heaven wants you more than hell wants you. That, that messes with our theology, everything we've been taught in our life. That's, that's me- that right there. I mean, like this breaks all protocol of how you get saved. Yes. What if your faith can cause salvation for a city? What if he responds to the faith of the people of the North Gate and says, Streetsboro is saved because of you? Streetsboro saved because of your faith in this room. You can't argue with that theologically now. You got, you got a reference. Son, your sins are forgiven you. Some of the scribes who are sitting there reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus with themselves, he said, Why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise up and take your bed and walk? But that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise up, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately, he arose, took his bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we... Never seen anything like this. You know what that tells me? His desire for his house is to be a place where people come and say, we have never. 
seen anything like that. I've never watched a man that's been addicted for 45 years come in to one church service and walk out looking like a new creature and never wanted to smoke the crack pipe again. We've never seen anything like this. This is the desire. Mark 2 is a prophetic picture of what he wants our houses to look like. It is a prophetic picture. It's his heart that you're full. It's his heart that the word is preached here. It's his heart that the heavens are opened by people in this room. It's his heart that there's breakthrough. It's his heart that there's faith present in the room. It's his heart that people walk in forgiveness. Yeah, yeah. It's his heart that this place would be known in this city. You want to see some crazy stuff? Roll on down there to the North Gate, baby. I'm going to promise you something. You ain't never seen nothing like that. (laughs) Psalm 92.13 says, Those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of their God. I think there's something about tonight that just is a recommitting in our heart to really align with the leadership, their vision, not just their vision, but really adopting it as your own. Papa D's vision isn't just his vision, it's my vision too. That's right. That's right. That's mine. I have I have it by way of inheritance. That's right. I walk in revival at every congregation that we've ever been a part of. We've had revival, and it's because I have pulled on that inheritance from him. That's right. And I've honored it, and I've sowed big into him, and yep. like and and you know you guys have too. You guys can pull on that. You guys probably out of anybody as a people have driving all the way down to South Carolina all those years. Like there are some things that you guys have that are, that are inherently yours that I believe you can pull on and really receive in a greater degree. But here's the missing point. You can't operate in his honor. You have to operate in your own. And you can't get behind him because he honors a father. Well, you've got to get behind your father and say, yeah, I, Pay attention how you do it, and I'm going to do that to you because I'm going to align my life with you in such a way that I'm going to get behind your dream and vision and recognize it's not just yours. I'm taking ownership of this thing too, baby. This thing, mine and yours, this thing is ours. That's right. I may never hold a microphone, but that vision is just as much mine as it is yours. I may never sing on the stage, but that vision is just as much mine as it is yours because there's a people in these streets that we just believe that the glory of God wants to sweep up and pour his spirit out in this part of Ohio in a way that draws the eastern part of the nation to us. That's what's on this house. You believe that? You, you, You just saw faith of four people can cause someone to go to heaven that didn't even ask to go. Like, let's believe this, man. He didn't even ask for it. He didn't ask for salvation or healing, and he got both because of their faith.
I, I guess I'll close by just kind of going in this direction. I feel like there's something that I'm receiving here too while I'm, while I'm here. Um, there's, there's something that I feel in my inner man in this room that is just really familiar but abnormal at the same time. And I, that's not in a negative statement. It's familiar in that my spirit says yes. Like I, I recognize this. But it's not something that is present in my world maybe ever. Not, I'm not talking about the measure of presence. I'm talking about just like gifts and graces that you guys have here that, that aren't typically familiar to me. Like I'm seeing more being in this room. and I'm hearing things in this room. And, and it, I think it goes to say, um, and I know you've always honored you know, the prophet that Papa, Papa's ordained as a family, but I think that that's on you too in a very, very real way. And, and ultimately, you as the head, everything has to flow through your, through your yes and your heart and other graces come alongside of that. But, but I feel like I'm receiving something to take back to Canada. Because histor- Canada historically in, in, the move, in the church movement is, is very prophetic by nature. They're not, there's, they're not apostolic. They don't have builders. You know, they, they don't have the guys that really do the, the, the building thing, the sending, the church planting, the, the going into new territories. Very, very prophetic as a culture. Like you bring in, you know, guys like Paul Keith Davis and when Bob Jones was alive up there, they eat those guys up. That's, that's why they need you and your voice as well in our, in our place because our people are, I don't typically bring in prophets, so to speak. I am next month, though. The Lord told me to start honoring the prophets in our region. Yeah. Yep. He said, because there's another level of inheritance you're going to receive that you're, you, you are yet to be able to do because, because you haven't really worked with them to the degree that I want you to. And so I, I feel like there's something that's very interesting that I'm here right before that meeting in our family, in a living room that belongs to somebody in our family where I'm probably a little more apt and comfortable to say, yes, I recognize I need that. Because sometimes around people that are outside of the family that are in the I kind of like, I don't know if I need that. That's not for me. Yeah. But being around a safe family, someone that's a brother, it's like, I recognize there's some things, man, that I'm feeling that are right that I probably would have pushed off if it was on somebody else. So before I leave, I want you and Tina, and I want you guys to pray for Nikki and I. Yeah, if you don't mind. That can be private. That can be public. I'll let you. Yeah. It, yeah. Okay. Awesome. We doing that now? Yeah. Okay. Well, I wasn't expecting it. Now. Strange things happen here. And to give an example, last year, before it was announced that Apostle was moving to Mobile, there's like five, six, seven of us here. And uh, raise your hand if you're here that night. Jeremy, you're probably... And uh, just to give an example why I think you're here. And we began to pray and we hit this pocket. It's probably five, six, seven of us. We hit this pocket and I began to hear John Kilpatrick's voice. And I saw a portal open up, but I'd never seen one like this. It was lateral. It wasn't up and down. It was lateral. And it went east to west. And I saw through this, almost like Mario Brothers. The Lord speaks kind of cartoonish to me sometimes in imagery. But it was like a flood. A myriad of angels came flying out of this tunnel. And they were here. And it was strange because there's five of us. It wasn't a service. And I'm like, whoa, what do you, you remember that, Armin? He's up there. We're like, why are you here? 
Like, what's going on? And then I heard John Kilpatrick's voice declare, this is that. And we began to pray and prophesy into the Bay of the Holy Spirit revival. We had no idea. And then a few weeks later, Apostle publicly announced they're moving to Mobile. And we're like, hey, that's what happened. An apostle called this house the Port Age. And I don't know why, but there's, there's transitioning angels that come through this port. I know this is mysterious for some people, but some of us talk about this kind of stuff privately, so I'm just, I'm just kind of being bold. And so um, this morning, man, I just got some stuff that's it's specific, but it's... <laughs> I'm a little nervous after Nikki's part to kind of give you this word, but I kind of I had to come in here and write some notes down because there's so much specific things. I was like, uh, I had to get in, you know what I mean? I had to write it down. So the, the word of the Lord just starts swirling actually in the shower and I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I think I had a word for them. And I began to pray in the spirit. And um, man, you, you two were going to touch people from so far away that they're going to come and, and they're going to come looking for the sound to awaken. They're saying, I have to mirror that. I have to come in something when I'm in their proximity. And I saw them coming as far as from Japan. I saw a small group that seemed insignificant from Japan. And I, I never, I don't know if, if there are even Christians in Japan, to be honest with you. I don't know anything about it. Are there? So, like, there's a group that's going to come to Canada from Japan. And it's going to seem insignificant. But the Lord showed me in two or three generations this thing's multi-generational. It's going to lock a sound over Japan like they've never seen. And then it, then I saw around you, Nikki, I saw a sphere. And I'm praying into that. And this was so intimate because I knew this sphere was your mountain. And it was like, we know we throw the term secret place around. And like, I know it's praying in private. I get all that. But literally, I feel like there's a, a connecting point between heaven and earth that God has made specifically for you. It's like, I've created this bubble for you and I, this mountaintop for you and I to meet. And you may not, you may not see that, but you're in that. You're in that. And I, I pray that your eyes get open and your feelers open to feel and see that mountaintop. It's that mountaintop that don't get cold. It's a snowy, it's a brisk, It was your mound. It was a secret place he created just to meet you. Others will come. When they come to you, they're actually coming to your mountain. And their authentic sound will awaken. Your mountain. I, I saw like this, Song of Songs 8. For years in the prophetic movement, it was trumpeted. Who is this coming out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? That's other people's ministry. Your ministry is Song of Songs 8. My beloved dances with me on the mountain of spices. Your sound is dancing with him on the mountain of spices. I saw worship summits begin to pop up. I began to see mountains at different. I saw a map of Canada. I saw a map of the United States. And there's a couple locations that, and I saw was something that looked like a Mount Lodge. And it reminded me of Apostle D's dream when he was in the mountain with the, where he got the, the, what if we failed to recognize that we're mesmerized by the merchant? That, that whole thing was playing out as I was praying in spirit, talking to this. But I actually saw like a mountain lodge that I think may have been actually physical. At first, I thought it was prophetic with your mountain. But then I, I saw this lodge that I, I believe you're going to have like some kind of worship song. Some of them are going to be small and exclusive 
but there's going to be sound that's released and awakening and recorded in these things in, in this literally mountaintops. And uh, I'm sorry, I got so much here. I'm kind of losing my spot. Yeah. The acreage you spot in the mountains, the 160 acres, God's going to resource that you can, yep, you can build this place to go away. The resources are coming for you guys to build a cabin on this. That you'll invite different worship leaders and different leaders to spend intimate time with you so that you can apostolically send them into assignments. They'll come from all over the globe. You will build a place of rest on that 160 acres that Abba just gave you. And all the resources will come. That's why you went away to a cabin spa before you came here. You know exactly what you need to do. I heard the word rest for that too, just to confirm for you. But this, these, these more exclusive summons will help awaken sounds, the sound over people groups, churches, regions. It will cause the atmosphere to shift, causing thin places, making it easy for people to literally dream again and even dream of him and have encounters in their sleep. Then I saw Colorado. This was seemed a random thing. I saw like a worship summer summit on, on a map of the Western United States. There was two or three spots in there. One was Colorado, and a significant sound came out of Colorado. I don't know what that means. It was just these were quick words that were coming. And then I saw three spots on a map of Canada. I saw Edmonton, and then I saw south, like a little bit south and east. I don't know how far over, but it was like another section or state or province, whatever you guys go. It's over in a different region, east. And then I saw maybe a little bit north and west. There was another location far west near the coast. Um, and, and I don't really know the cities very well there. But then I saw this. Um, I saw three locations of Canada, one east of Edmonton, one west. Then I heard this word, Victoria Sound. And I thought it was actually a body of water when I first heard it. And I looked it up and there's no Victoria sound. It said there will be a victorious sound coming out of Victoria. And I saw a remnant rising out of, out of Victoria and out of Abbotsford. And they will come to you like Philip called to Peter. And they'll say, come that we may be established. They'll come to you, apostle, to establish the church. And there's a remnant from Todd Bentley. There's a remnant from Victoria, which I know nothing about, that'll come to the sound and they'll look, in a, they'll look at a father and say, come establish us. They're pure in heart and pure in intentions. And as builder sons, they will marry you. Some will even ask to take your name. They'll even ask to be called the summit. They're like, we're marrying you. We'll take us there. And as I prayed into this, and then tonight we were praying into it, we, ha- we had the, the thing, and I'm praying into the remnant out of Abbotsford, which I, I know nothing about it. I know Todd Bentley's there. It's the only thing I know about it. But I, st- I began to pray, and I, I began to hear a song rise up in me about the angels of Abbotsford. And I, I kept seeing three large angels that are carrying the sound of what was laid down and never came to proper fulfillment in, Ed, or in Abbotsford. And I said, Lord, how many are there? Because I kept feeling that question rise up in my heart. And I saw the number seven, but I only saw three angels. So I believe you're receiving three angels tonight that were assigned to Abbotsburg. And I don't know why, in the, but I know we're the port age. So tonight in this port, he's, he's ushering you 
into a new age. And the new age that you're stepping into, is it, it, it's an age of expansion. We literally lifted our hands and we begin to get to stretch out the expanse as we prayed for you guys tonight. This new age is a, one of expansion and sons will come to you and they'll say, come and establish us. So Lord, right now, we speak to the angels of Abbotsford right now. We thank you for the angels. We honor and greet the angels of Abbotsford right now. And I say, angels of Abbotsford, release your sound in Canada. Release your sound in Streetsboro tonight. We introduce Apostle Chris and Nikki Mathis to the angels of Abbotsford and the angels of the North Gate. We greet the angels of Abbotsford and we say expand, expand, expand. And I believe with the remnant that rises up from that place, the other four will come. And you'll feel that in your feeling, Chris. You'll feel that in your feeling, Apostle. Oh, as the three with you grease the four with them, that the full circle may be complete, that the West and Canada is one. So I say let there be a gold rush in Canada like a gold rush that was in the West of the United States. Let a gold rush of sound, let a gold rush of love, peace, joy, and precious thing ring out through the western of Canada. I say there's a westward expansion from Edmonton. There's a westward expansion and sons will meet you on the street. I kept thinking about the angels that met Abraham on the way to Sodom. Before we go to Sodom, let us speak the son of man who's the heir of this entire land. They'll come to meet and greet their apostle. And there's angels coming with vision and um, I saw almost as if like your guys' faces in your church was going to be on like the face of money and stuff like that down there and what I see that is not just your guys' obviously natural gifts like speaking for you and singing for you but just the ability to parent over the entire nation is going to be noticed and that's what people are going to see you guys are going to be the highlight of Canada like how the White House is like one of the highlights of America and whatever. Your guys' house, not like your church house, is going to be at the highlight of your nation. And that's where people are going to try to go. You already see that in a portion, but it's not even 5% of what's going to happen. There's going to be people from tons and tons of nations, not just like three or four. Everywhere around the world is going to be there. And you guys are just seeing the smallest portion of it right now. Big Mike has no idea. He kept saying West Expansion, West Expansion. They're about to transition everything they're doing in their ministry to the West Campus. They're consolidating everything to the West. It's an honor to have you guys in this house. And there, hear me. They don't know this. A man comes from Oklahoma. I do not let anybody come in this house and prophesy that I have not met and I let a guy do this. Because on a phone conversation, the word of the Lord was so strong. The Lord, he lives in Oklahoma. He's from Arkansas. The Lord told him, marry Ohio. 
with prayer because God's about to do something significant. And so for the last several months, he's been driving over here and praying within what we know is our 40-mile radius. And the Lord let him, this is what he said, the Lord let me see the house that this revival is about to come out of. But the Lord told him, I'm about to put a trumpet in Lake Erie and the blast is going to part the lake like the Red Sea so that an exchange can take place between Canada and Ohio. He said that two weeks before you guys came. We thank you both that our house is an assignment for you. And we honor who you authentically are. That this house needs their authenticity. This house in a elder brother and sister we honor their authenticity we honor the voice that both of them are the oracle that they are for Canada and for Ohio and we receive inheritance from them and we are thankful tonight and we honor you and we speak increase back to the summit we speak revival wells to be opened in Canada God, we declare that all of your promises are yes and amen. God, and we know that you're going to do exceedingly abundantly above all they can ask and even think in Canada. Oh, Canada, be ready for revival. You have been kissed with the glory of Abba. In the words of Bill Johnson, when you said, I saw the kiss, he said in reading to his wife, that one miracle, we have it now, we won't lose it. Nothing can stop us. And I declare that over both of you, confidence and boldness and refreshing in the land of Ohio. Be refreshed when you go back to Canada, knowing that you're right on time and right where you're supposed to be. And there's nothing that can stop it. Thank you for listening to this message from the Northgate. If you would like to donate to this ministry, please go to www.thenorthgateoh.com and click on the link at the bottom of the homepage.